Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Come on, you're right, man. Georgia teammates, very excited about the performance of Nolan Smith with the second fastest 40-yard dash by a defensive lineman since 2003. As Miles Simmons pointed out yesterday on Twitter, those guys probably went to his birthday party, (laughs) which has relevance as the draft approaches. Miles still in Indianapolis. He has been there since Monday. I made my escape on Wednesday. Miles staying until when? I don't know. Maybe Miles is moving to Indianapolis. Welcome to the Eastern Time Zone. I think if you get enough of a taste of Eastern Time, you decide you can't leave it. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I used to say that. It's funny. I had dinner with my best friend in the world and his wife last night. First time I got to see them in four years. And, you know, back when we used to live in the same place in Southern California, they would always hear me talk about how I don't like being in Pacific time. Eastern time is God's time and it's this and it's that. And they reminded me of that yesterday because obviously now I am back in Southern California on a regular basis. So it's funny, Mike. I mean, I came to the Eastern time zone and yet it is still dark and early when we do this show here on another Friday closer to death. Well, Thank you very much for that. Indianapolis, a little farther west here in West Virginia, we actually have some daylight creeping in at 7 a.m. Eastern. The days are getting longer. It's getting a little warmer, although I think they're calling for some weather in Indianapolis. Maybe you'll get out of there before any of that happens. And I'd love to meet your best friend in the world because you always get the best stories about someone from someone's best friend in the world. No matter how good of a friend that person claims to be, when they have an opportunity to share dirt with a colleague now it doesn't even take peppermint schnapps to ply it out of them it just flows so 
Unfortunately, I left before I had a chance to meet your best friend in the world. Well, yeah, I know. But that, unfortunately for you, but probably fortunately for me. So I guess that is probably one of the benefits of you leaving here before me. And I leave tomorrow morning, by the way. So yeah, the weather's already started here. I mean, I can sort of see outside the window. It's, it's raining. So, you know, I guess uh, it'll be an interesting walk over to the convention center once we get done here. I will say this, though. I did meet one of your former colleagues from the Las Vegas Review Journal at the Super Bowl, and I was told to be on the lookout for the reality that every time Miles orders a steak, he sends it back. Every time he orders a steak, he sends it back. So on Monday night at Prime 47, Miles ordered a steak, and we were all patiently waiting to see whether or not he would send it back. And breaking character, Miles Simmons did not send back his steak okay in my defense it is not every time it's only when the steak is not properly cooked a steak is an expensive piece of meat right if you're going out and you order something and it is not right you send it back because it is not right you want it to be right and boy what i love about indianapolis is they know how to cook meat here Uh, they understand that if it's medium rare that means warm red center and not everybody understands that so at Prime 47, I cut into the piece of meat. And even before I cut into it, you know, you do the little, you, you tap the fork on the top of the steak and you want to see, does it actually feel like the inside of your hand, right? And if it does, then you feel like you're in good shape. And once I cut into it, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I was very, very happy with my steak. All I am is the messenger. Your former <laughs> colleague at the Review Journal told me every time you order a steak, you send it back. So oh. so he would be surprised. This would be news to him that you did not send it back at Prime 47. And I'm learning new things here. I didn't know that there's a way to test the exterior of the steak. Oh, yeah. I, I really it's fu- it's funny, you know, like I, I've reached a point in my life where I'm supposed to know things and understand things like <laughs> I'm always freaked out when they do the whole routine with the bottle of wine when you're at a restaurant and they like show it to you and they hand you the cork like yes this is a cork what am I supposed to do with it and they put that little bit in your glass and you swirled it around because you saw someone do that once and then and then you take a drink of it and what are you supposed to say like like does anyone ever say this is horrible I don't want it you've just opened a bottle of crap go ahead and pour it down the drain and bring me another one like whoever does that I don't know that it would be bad I don't know what I'm looking for it tastes like wine what else is it supposed to taste like yeah I don't know but I mean I can also confirm that Mike did the performative bit where he swirled the wine around his glass took a little sip and then said Yes, this is great. As the waiter then, yeah. you know, presented the wine to the rest of us and poured it in all of our glasses. And, you know, I thought it was also I can't a very nice confirm. Touch. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did that. And then he I went can't to the confirm at the table. that it's wine. Yes, yes, yes. But I can <laughs> confirm that it was wine. It was not grape juice. It was not soda pop. It was not purple milk. It was wine. I yeah. am convinced of it that it was wine. So yeah, and, and went look the the wine that we got like it's it's not that's the thing when you buy a fairly expensive bottle of wine, especially when you get the restaurant markup, which is worse than jewelry, frankly, which is fine. It's part of the experience, you know. Everybody accepts the fact that that bottle of wine that you could get for X dollars across the street is X times ten in the restaurant. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm not complaining, but. 
when you get a decent bottle of wine, a good bottle of wine, you don't expect it to taste like, you know, Mad Dog. I mean, so I didn't know what I was looking for, but it was fine. It was a nice evening. It was nice having dinner with you. It was nice seeing you in Indianapolis. It was nice being heckled by you while uh, Sims and I were – don't, I'm, we're not talking about steaks. Don't put up any yes. images of steaks. I said don't. Oh, boy. I, sa- I said it nicely. Yeah. I mean, That's yeah. Pittsburgh and rare. That's Pittsburgh rare. Well, that just looks like you don't have the temperature properly, you know, adjusted on whatever I don't, it was. You I don't. I just with. put. I don't. I just I turn on the stove and I put the steak on the stove and I let mm-hmm. it sit for five minutes on one side and then I flip it to the mm-hmm. other side. And so. Yeah, I, I, I don't – look, I may as well just make hamburger then because yeah. uh, still, it tastes good. I'm happy with the product. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. Uh, yeah, that's all right. That's uh, thanks so – thanks so much. I'll cook you – the next time you're here, I will cook you a steak. And if you do send it back, I won't have far to walk to the grill. The only problem oh. is what do you do if it's overcooked? Do you expect a new piece of meat if they overcook it? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I didn't pay yeah, – What do they I do with I mean, the first one? Is, I don't know. It's not really my problem. I don't know. Maybe wow. they throw it in the trash wow. and then they give it to somebody unsuspectingly and then expect them to eat it without saying, oh, you know, this was trash before. <laughs> well, no, you take it back. <laughs> Yo, oh, no, no. Now, have we ever told that story about I don't know. trash at our gathering not... in Arizona? No, we have no, to get no. to the news at some yeah, point. <laughs> okay, let me tell this story very, very quickly. On the Wednesday night of Super Bowl week, at the house we rented in Phoenix, a decent little place. It had a Breaking Bad vibe to it, especially out back. It kind of felt like Walter White's patio and pool. It was, it was kind of, I didn't expect that, yeah. but it was, it was kind of a nice touch. So we have the writers over. Nice evening. We found a young lady in the vicinity that catered the meal for us. Everything was really good, but she had this dessert that is a St. Louis specialty called gooey butter cake, and it was Phenomenal. And one person at the event took a very strong liking to the dessert, and that was Miles. So as, as we were bringing in the plates from outside, everyone was helping clean up. Miles was inside talking to whoever was inside. And I was in the process of like pretending that I actually do things around the house. You know, when you get in a setting like that, like people are around, I'm going to act like when we're at home, I actually do this shit. Here it is. Oh yeah. I clean up. So I'm cleaning up and putting the stuff in the dishwasher and, and throwing stuff in the garbage. And I lift up a plate and there's a, a piece of unconsumed gooey butter cake. And I picked it up and I was like, Hey, and all Miles said was, give me that. And I said, but, but give me that. But, but, Give me that. So I gave it to him and he ate it. And then he no. found out later that the butt, butt, butt was butt, butt, butt. This is the trash. It was presented to me without comment. There was no butt, butt, butt. If anybody <laughs> no, wanted it to, was. they could Give me that. Me. I didn't get a chance. Give me that. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I had been told that it was trash, it probably would not have been eaten. But also, it wasn't in the trash, which is what I was told at first that it was. And I didn't know that. But either way, I did not know that it was trash. It was just a nice piece of ooey gooey butter cake. And yeah, I ate the hell out of it. And I don't regret it. And and see, if Miles was familiar with Seinfeld, one of the great series of the 90s that he has yet to watch, there's George Costanza taking a eclair with one bite out of it out of the trash <laughs> and mrs enright 
Mrs. Mrs. Enright, Mrs. Enright. That was the mother of his girlfriend, and he had this issue where, like, he kept blowing it with the mother of his girlfriend everywhere he went. It all began with the bite. Just when he had charmed the mother, the grandmother, the aunt, like, they all loved him. He blew it when he ate out of the trash. So his argument was that it, it wasn't trash. It was in the doily. It was above the rim, but it was still in the trash. So uh, it didn't quite get that far. But yeah. it was headed for the receptacle <laughs> until Miles intercepted it. All right. Uh, wow. Well, we can tell you're a veteran at this now because we have accomplished the fact of wasting the first 10 minutes of the show. Although people like 10 minutes of banter about whatever. And this is all spontaneous. This is all. What's that word? What's that word? Impromptu. Uh, improv. It's all improv. Yeah. It's all improv, okay. extemporaneous, fancier yeah. word than that. Thanks, Control Room. I was yeah, thinking yeah. like that old show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, where they act like it's improv, but it really isn't. You know, this really <laughs> is. We don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. We just come and talk for 10 minutes. All right, let's get to it. Latest from the Combine, we showed you the video of Nolan Smith running the second fastest 40-yard dash by a defensive lineman since 2003. I think I already said that. Is there an echo in here? 43940. 439 are you kidding me for a defensive end 439 now again the only time you run 40 yards in a straight line during a football game is when something very good has happened or when something very bad has happened and it only happens in your underwear if your pads somehow fly off during the play which would make it more memorable for reasons other than the fact that the guy ran a 43940 but still that is some impressive straight line speed for a guy who's going to rely on agility and burst to get around the edge and get after the quarterback miles yeah, and you said that one five two early split, which I assume was a little bit faster once they got to the official numbers, but that also is important too because it shows the get-off, it shows the burst, it shows what offensive linemen are going to have to contend with when he is coming off of the edge there. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the 40 time is the 40 time. And, you know, initially it was thought he had the 44440 or something like that. And, you know, the tweets were out there that, you know, he was a little bit upset of that because he was in the 4-3 range when he was practicing for this. So the fact that he actually was in that range, I'm sure, made him feel a lot happier. And you know what? It's one of those things that you look at and it's another data point where you can say, all right, this guy has the skills that translate to the NFL level. Faster 40-yard dash at the combine than DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Saquon Barkley, and Tom Brady. I threw in Tom oh, Brady at the end because really anybody <laughs> runs the 40. The combine is faster than Tom Brady. But Hopkins, Diggs, and Barkley. The Barkley one surprises me. But 4-3-9 is blazing. If you get sub, really, if you're under 4-5, you're pretty freaking fast. You get sub 4-4, that is blazing speed. Yeah, it it is. And, you know, one of the things that I saw, um, you know, on Twitter last night was that people might think that this is a consequence of them moving the workouts to later in the day, because you earlier in, you know, combine history, a lot of guys were working out early on in the day, right? You know, whether it was 8 a.m. in the morning to 11 a.m. in the morning, sometimes around noon. But if you start these workouts at three o'clock or later, then you're just kind of already used to the day. You know, your body is plugged in and it's more of a pro day environment than it would be a combine environment, or at least what we're used to from a combine environment. So I I don't know if that's going to affect, 
you know, what the receivers do when they're out there, the running backs, guys like that, maybe even cornerbacks um, later today. But I, I think that is something to maybe keep an eye on. And it's also a testament to the quality of the field at Lucas Oil yeah. Stadium, a far cry from what we saw 20, 19 days ago now in, uh, in Arizona. Oh. I guess they didn't overwater Lucas Oil Stadium field. Not that they would. It's artificial turf. And there are situations right. where artificial turf is better. When you're trying to generate highest possible speed, the artificial stuff is better. It's not great for the joints. The players don't like it. They prefer grass. But fast guys are faster on the fake stuff than they are on the real stuff. And also at 238 pounds, he's the heaviest player to have both a 40-inch-plus vertical leap and a sub-4440 at the Combine since 2003, just edging out DK Metcalf back in 2019. So this guy's phenomenal. And, and again, and again, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to actual play on the field. We've seen guys do great things at the Combine and not become great players. Vernon Golston is the latest example of just incredible Combine specimen, but never a player worth noting in the NFL. Still, it's just more data, and it reinforces what people already thought about this guy as a football player. He's got the objective measurables that when you consider height and weight, it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, and, you know, Smith is one of those guys, because I'm not a draft Nick, you know, and when we're in the season, we pay very strong attention to what's going on on NFL football fields, and then I sometimes pay cursory attention to what's going on on college football. But, you know, being at Georgia, he's a guy I know I watched, but I didn't really know that I was watching. And so he's one of those guys that has kind of been projected to go into the first round, maybe, and... You know, it's interesting that he has dealt with the injuries, had a torn pec this season, but I mean, he looks like he's pretty fully recovered from that, or at least recovered enough that he can work out and really show what he can do. So, yeah, I mean, I think if there maybe was any pause um, from NFL teams, given what the injury history was, I mean, you're kind of at least seeing him at his best when it comes to the athleticism uh, in that setting. Also yesterday, it was the defensive linemen, defensive tackles out there doing their thing. Collegiate Cansey of Pitt ran the fastest 40-yard dash ever since 2003. So is it since 2003 or is it ever? I thought it was ever. I see both ever and since 2003. So for a a defensive tackle, Tackle. 4.67 in the 40, uh, and he broke the record set by Aaron Donald at 4.68. So just barely, but it's 100 of a second that's something and this guy's moving and now look the closer you are to the middle of the line of scrimmage the less relevant straight line speed is but again if this is a guy who can move you know it's better to have a guy who can move than a guy who can't move and this guy can move even though he's 280 pounds yeah, he's got the burst he's got the get off and then you know there's this sort of obvious comparison to make as you just mentioned the guy aaron donald another pit defensive tackle was a little bit undersized but i think the comparison kind of stops when you look at what the hardware was uh, from Cansey versus what it was from Aaron Donald, because Cansey ACC Defensive Player of the Year this year. But Aaron Donald was ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and then he got the Nagurski Trophy, the Benaric Award, the Lombardi Award, that one trophy, all these different things that, you know, kind of told you the potential of Aaron Donald, even though he's undersized, right? And now we've seen that he is one of the best defensive tackles in the history of the NFL. Um, and if he retired tomorrow, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So you don't necessarily want to put that 
on a guy who's coming into the draft just because they sort of have some of the same measurables. Um, but it will be interesting to see right. what he's able to do in the NFL. Yeah, Aaron Donald slipped down to 13 in large part mm-hmm. because of those questions about his size. And it was one of the conversations we had this week. God, which guy was it? There were so many of them on Tuesday. A Parcells devotee who pointed out it was a great line. It's why they have weight classes in boxing. Big guys beat little guys. The bigger you are, the more likely you have to win. And it may have been Trent Bauke. Thank you very much. Somebody was paying attention to the interviews, not one of the people who was sitting right there during them, but somebody who was in the control room listening to them. I think it was Trent Bauke with one of the various Parcells-isms. And and you're right. Hey, look, big – and that was the other line, too. Uh, Fast guys get slower as the season goes on. Big guys don't get smaller. So size is a factor, but it's not – it's not determinative. If you're if you're crossing guys off the list because they don't fit a certain height or weight, that's a mistake. You may be missing out on a guy who could be a first ballot Deion Sanders upper room Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, I mean, and the other you know funny thing about that draft for the Rams that sort of gets forgotten, they picked Greg Robinson out of Auburn at number two. And then picked Aaron Donald at number 13. So, you know, uh, it kind of tells you something about the draft process sometimes. Blake Bortles was picked before Aaron Donald. <laughs> now, no, Justin Gilbert. There are some great players that went before him. I mean, Mike yeah. Evans went before him. Sammy Watkins, that was a mistake by the Bills. They traded up. They could have stayed where they were and got Odell Beckham Jr. Beckham was mm-hmm. taken right before Aaron Donald. Eric Ebron, who the Lions took instead of Donald, even though Ndamukong Sue was entering the last year of his contract, Nick Fairley was entering the last year of his contract. They had an obvious need at defensive tackle. What the hell were they thinking? So anyway, you're right. Just because went to same school, roughly same size, ran a little bit faster, that doesn't mean he's going to be the next Aaron Donald. But but little stupid things like that can be the difference maker when you're looking at one guy versus another when it comes down to the end. This is the next, yeah. These are the next two guys on our list. Maybe something like that makes a difference for Cansey. All right, Jalen Carter had an issue emerge out of nowhere when we were in the room on Wednesday. i got to think about my days. This whole week's been a blur, but it was Wednesday morning as we were interviewing edge rushers and getting ready for the defensive tackles to come through. They would do the podium, then they'd go over to the media car wash. That's when we first heard about this Jalen Carter issue in Georgia arising from the fatal accident allegation of reckless driving and racing. He returned to the combine Thursday following the two misdemeanor charges, turned himself in, was booked, processed, went back. My understanding is he was going to talk to the teams about the situation. He wasn't going to say on advice of counsel, I've been told not to discuss this. And somebody reached out to me yesterday and said, well, you know what they can do now. They can go subpoena all these executives and ask them, what did Jalen Carter tell you? And I said to the person who raised that with me, let's be practical about this. Do you think local prosecutor in Athens, Georgia, is going to go state to state across the country to try to track down these general managers and coaches, open a specialized proceeding in all these other jurisdictions just for the purpose of serving a subpoena and engaging in what amounts to a fishing expedition to put John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, under oath, George Payton, the GM of the Broncos, under oath, 
just to find out if Jalen Carter deviated from the script in any way. Are you kidding me? When he's not charged with lying to police, he's only charged with two misdemeanors. Two misdemeanors don't justify going coast to coast to try to find out what he may have said to these people at the scouting combine. It's ludicrous. So it's just not going to happen. The fact that it's two misdemeanors, Miles, tells me that there's a good chance this thing gets resolved quickly and quietly unless they're holding back other charges they plan to file against him later. So, so based on what he was charged with, you think it was a good idea for him to come back and explain things from his perspective to teams? I think based on what he's charged with and based upon what the downside would be of acting like it's all one big secret, I'm not talking about it, that could raise more of a red flag than just having a story that preferably is the truth. I'm not talking about going right. in there and lying your ass off and telling the same lie to every other team. I'm saying whatever the truth is, if you're comfortable with it, and this is a guy who issued a statement saying, I expect to be fully exonerated. If you are in a position where your story meshes with the truth, which also harmonizes with I didn't do anything wrong, then you should have no qualms about telling your story. Because if you all of a sudden slam on the brakes and say, I'm not talking about that, that's just something that could be a factor. And it makes people wonder what else is going on here and who are we dealing with and can we trust this guy to be straight with us? Can we trust him to make good decisions? You know, this is where there's not a a straight line between action and how you project into what kind of a player you're going to have. This has little to do with skills on the field. This is where you get into who am I dealing with? Who is the person? And again, the better you are, the less that matters, right? Teams will tolerate a lot from great, 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 great talent. But, But still... If you give them reason to pause and say, hmm, that that doesn't bode well for the player. So I, I like the strategy because, again, unless he believes that felony charges are coming for lying to police or there's going to be an involuntary manslaughter charge or something along those lines, these two misdemeanors, reckless driving and speeding, there, there's no reason to jeopardize your draft status by clamming up. Go tell the truth and and deal with whatever consequences may flow from that. Yeah, and I, I guess I do wonder how much this is going to, I don't want to use the word blow over, but you know, how much this is going to be resolved, I guess is the better way of putting it, by the draft time, right? This is the end of April. Right now we're still at the beginning of March, and there is time for it to be resolved before the draft so that it either would not necessarily affect his draft status all that much, or it would if it's resolved in a different way. So, I mean, I, that's where I sort of think about it. And it's not necessarily the same as Lyle Collins, right? Or, or Laramie Tunsil, where something happened and immediately because it was so close to the draft, there was no time for things to be resolved. It just immediately affected the draft status. And, you know, these guys started to plunge in sort of different ways. And there were different reasons for both of those things, obviously. But yeah, that's sort of where my mind, I guess, is at when it comes to Jalen Carter is there is, I guess, time for this to be resolved before the first round of the draft starts, you know, at the end of April. You make an excellent point. I mean, if you're going to have a wrench thrown into the gears, you want to have it thrown in at a time when you have an opportunity to to get it out, not right Right. before the race or during the race. You want to be able to deal with it. And you got two months now to come up with a plan for dealing with it to minimize it. And obviously, step one was go face the music in Georgia, answer the warrants, be processed, then come back to Indianapolis and 
be willing to talk to the teams that are going to want to have answers about the incident, period. That's the strategy, and that's the process toward resolving this. And again, unless the the authorities in Georgia are holding more serious charges in their back pocket, what he's facing on paper, reckless driving and speeding, not the kind of thing that should cause his draft stock to crumble. And I say all that acknowledging that what happened was a tragedy. It was awful. Two people lost their lives who were in one of the other cars, and we don't know exactly what happened, and it is a bad outcome. But when you look at the hands you're dealt right now as Jalen Carter with the two misdemeanor charges, I think he's handling it the right way. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's pivot to one of the teams that is dominating the combine, not because of the draft, but because of a guy that they traded up to the bottom of round one to draft five years ago, Lamar Jackson. We are tick, tick, ticking toward the decision as to which level of the franchise tag will be applied. And one of the issues hovering over the Ravens, because of the offense, from time to time, it's because of Lamar Jackson, but it's more the offense they've specifically created to get the most out of Lamar Jackson under Greg Roman. Now Todd Munkin is the guy in charge. Here's Eric DaCosta from earlier in the week talking about the problems and the challenges of drafting receivers who will be good enough to make the offense go. Here he is. If I had an answer, that means I would probably have some better receivers, I guess. Um, we keep trying. You know, I think there's a lot of things that go along with that position. Sometimes it's, it is tied to the quarterback. Um, and I think it's tied to things like durability. It's tied to, you know, a lot of things. Um, we're going to keep swinging, you know. Uh, there have been some guys that, you know, have been successful players for us that were draft picks. We've never really hit on that all-pro type of guy, which is disappointing, I would say. But it's not for lack of effort. We believe in what we do. We believe in our scouting. We believe in the system that we have, the scouting system that we have. Um, It's one of those anomalies that I really can't explain other than to say we're not going to stop trying. See, the other side of that coin, and I appreciate the candor. I appreciate it very much. The other side of that coin is develop. Draft and develop. You have to draft and you have to develop. And there's Rashad Bateman, a first-round pick a couple of years back for the Ravens. Now he's got a problem with Rashad Bateman because he was too candid. That's why these guys don't like to talk very much because sometimes you say something and, uh uh-oh, 
Here it comes. How about you play to your players' strengths and stop pointing the finger at us and number eight, Lamar Jackson. Blame the one you let do this. We take heat 24-7 and keep us healthy. Care about us. See what happens. Ain't no promises, though. Tired of y'all lying and capping on players for no reason. That is a problem. And what happened last year? They had to trade Hollywood Brown, the best receiver they've had that they drafted in a while. I'd have to go back and look at all the receivers they've drafted, but that's one of the best, if not the best, he wanted out. And, yeah. you know, the talk was, well, it's about Lamar. Well, it was about the offense, but whatever. But th- th- this is an issue, and it could be they're so focused on Lamar and being careful what they say about Lamar. Haven't we all been in that situation? We're so worried about what we say about one thing. We're careless about what we say about something else. And that may be what happened to the cost of the other day. Yeah, it might have been. I mean, he was answering the question that he was asked. It was at that that press conference, and it, it didn't give off the feeling of him trying to trash his current receivers. But I can certainly understand why Rashad Bateman took it the way that he took it. Now, I mean, Bateman has had injuries, right? He dealt with the groin as a rookie in 2021, dealt with the foot last year in 2022, and so it, in that same press conference, DaCosta talked about how he was excited to see what Bateman can do in his third season. He's going to be fully healthy. He thinks he's chomping at the bit to get back at it in the offseason program, et cetera. But that answer, I understand why it is that the receiver would take offense to it because it sort of seems like he's saying, well, you know, we just haven't done well. We haven't gotten enough talent in here. We haven't done this. Or we haven't done that. And in reality, it is not just about the drafting of it. It's about developing those guys. And so I think that's part of why they've made the switch from Greg Roman to Todd Munkin, right? You know, you can say they mutually agreed to part ways. Greg Roman decided to leave, whatever. The fact is he's no longer there. And so now what can they do in an offense that is still going to be based around Lamar Jackson, provided that he's there, right? But now you can say, all right, what can we do with receivers so that we get some more explosive plays in that realm, you know, so that we get more consistency out of that group. It, it's been difficult for them to sign guys in free agency. Now, they have not drafted a pro bowler at that position, if you um, except uh, guys who are return specialists, right? I mean, it, it's just something that they haven't really done. And it's weird because, I mean, as DaCosta pointed out, I mean, it's not like they're bad at drafting. They're very, very good at drafting. It's why they've been so good as a program in Baltimore. So yeah, I I don't really know how you resolve that, but at least Bateman did delete that tweet. So there must've been some sort of conversation to try and smooth things over between DaCosta and Bateman at some point. It is important to remember draft and develop. That's the problem the Patriots may have gotten into over the years. We think they're just drafting guys that can't play. Maybe those guys would play and play well if they're somewhere else. And I still have this image of a Bill Belichick at a practice when this rookie receiver's there and he makes a mistake and Belichick harumps and says, get somebody out here who knows what they're doing. So you just don't get the opportunity to truly develop because I could see the level of impatience. Got to be plugged into the Patriot way for some of these guys. It may be an issue, and I'm looking back at the Ravens draft picks at receivers, and there's some there's one issue that really stands out to me. 2015, Rashad Perryman was their first-round pick, 26th overall receiver. He was a bust there. He's still kind of hanging around the NFL, and I credit him for continuing to try. He never became the guy we thought he was going to be. He was one of these blazing, fast, combine guys that never lived up to the hype. That same year, they drafted a guy who's technically listed as a receiver, in the sixth round, 204th overall. He's not a receiver anymore. He's a tight end. 
And he's doing pretty well, and his name's Darren Waller. Now, he went through some serious personal challenges and came out on the other end of it fine, and he's been great. Wouldn't they love to have Darren Waller now, Miles? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they would. I mean, he would definitely be a guy who could be productive alongside Mark Andrews, but then the Raiders picked him up, and now look at, look at what he's turned into. So, yeah, you're not wrong there. So, th- this is an organizational issue I think it's been there ever since they decided that they want Lamar Jackson they're going to make the offense get the most out of Lamar Jackson he's he's a good passer he's a good thrower but when you build in there's only so many plays in a game so when you build in a certain number of design runs by the quarterback on top of the design runs to the running back there aren't as many opportunities to throw the ball And that's part of what happens. And, you know, when you are this incredible physical talent, whether it's Lamar Jackson, whether it's Jalen Hurts, this is something the Eagles are dealing with, the Bears with Justin Fields. Okay, you're back in the pocket. You're scanning the field. You see a guy who may or may not be open. I'm taking a chance by throwing this ball. Well, you know what has a much higher degree of potential success me believing in my ability to run around these guys and gain 25 yards. That's part of the tension when you have a guy who is that great at running the football. And I think that's been part of the problem as well for the Baltimore Ravens. So, look, they've got various issues on offense now. And, you know, Miles, the other side of this, too, as we try to figure out who out there would pursue Lamar Jackson if the Ravens would apply the non-exclusive franchise tag, Who out there is ready to completely retool their offense and invite these same challenges potentially into their organization that may not currently exist there? Well, but I think there's different ways to structure the offense around him, right? I mean, we've seen guys who can run the football, like not quite that well, but can run the football, but also then still have a pretty prominent passing attack. So I, I think that there are different ways to do it. There are different ways to bake the cake, you know? And I don't know. I, I think if you have the chance to get a, a player who is as supremely talented as Lamar Jackson, there are things that you are willing to accept because it gives you a better chance to win, especially if you haven't had a winning football program in a long time. Hey, look, and uh, to all the people out there who are convinced that Chris Sims and I are Lamar Jackson haters. I have spent plenty of time over the past few weeks trying to concoct a way he can get to the Vikings in lieu of Kirk Cousins, frankly. I mean, but, but you know, it, it's, it's going to be expensive. It's going to take draft picks, and you are going to have to adjust your offense. It doesn't mean you have to completely yes. revamp it. And maybe, that's, maybe, maybe the problem is the Ravens went too far. Maybe there's a way, especially as Lamar is getting older, at some point he's not going to be the tremendous running threat he is. And I think to the the two Steves of days gone by, Steve Young, Steve McNair, their careers extended because as they got older and as their legs started to wear down, they became pocket passers. At some point you've got to make that transition, and that would be part of the plan that a new team has for Lamar Jackson and I'm sorry I'm sorry Kirk if you're out there watching or listening I'm sure you are I'm I'm just I look I you know oh boy teams gotten so far we're just, just trying to think about how to go next level and I think a lot of teams would look at Lamar Jackson and say he would do better with us than our current quarterback 
is doing. And I think, and we know every team is constantly asking itself that question other than the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chargers. The other 28 teams are asking themselves, is there a way to get a quarterback who is better than the one we currently have? That's the way football works, Miles. Well, that's the way the Rams got Matthew Stafford, right? I mean, this is why things happen the way that they're happening. Um, It's all about the quarterback and what can your quarterback do to make sure that you can get to the level that you need to be to win a championship. I mean, the the Eagles did it in some ways when they benched Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts a couple years ago and want to see, like, well, is this guy going to be better than the other guy? And is that solution already in our locker room? And it turns out, yes, it, it was. All right, uh, will Lamar Jackson remain in the Ravens' locker room? Calais Campbell, who's been a mainstay on the defensive line there, settling in Baltimore after being with the Cardinals and then the Jaguars. He was on NFL Network, and he made this comment about Lamar and his current contract stalemate slash impasse with the Ravens. He wants to get a deal done, and that's the most important part. Sometimes guys who are part of a team and don't want to be there anymore use free agency as an opportunity to go elsewhere. He wants to be with the Ravens, and that's important because – You know, people ask me from time to time, Miles, is this all just a manifestation of a desire by Lamar Jackson to leave? That came up when there was first a sense that there was an inability by the two sides to get together. Is this some sort of a passive aggressive play by Lamar Jackson to get home to Miami? That's been the thought. And there are people out there, including me, who are watching very carefully how these dominoes fall. Non-exclusive franchise tag. Nobody signs him to an offer sheet until the draft, the day after first round of the draft, when the Dolphins have a first round pick restored for 2024. That's when they can pursue Lamar Jackson. Would they do that if he's still available to be signed to an offer sheet after the draft comes and goes this year? That's kind of still out there. So if Campbell is plugged into Lamar Jackson's way of thinking, he doesn't want to leave Baltimore. He wants to get a deal done. And, and I've said this all week. At some point, Lamar's got to do a deal with somebody. He's got to do a deal with somebody. Why not do a deal with Baltimore if that's the team you want to play for? Yeah, I mean, it's true. But at the same time, at this point right now, there's no incentive for him to actually sign something before that franchise tag deadline, right? And, and I know that Eric DaCosta was saying, oh, he's hopeful that they can get something done. And I mean, we can hope in one hand and, you know, you know what in the other and see what gets filled up first. So hey, I, I, I think that, <laughs> sorry, it's the first thing that came to mind there. But when you're talking about Lamar Jackson, no, it's fine. The desire it's, it's, to stay in I've Baltimore, said it before. Without editing the word, go ahead. I thought you were going to let it fly. That's why um, I stopped. No, nah, I still kind of haven't. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not at the point where you are or where Sims is, where I feel comfortable enough to just let it fly. So the point is, I mean, when you've got I would two at least, sides. Hey, I would at least go to bat for you. Not that that you. matters. But I would at least uh, try to not, I t- to try to push back on any effort to fire you. Uh, well, thank you. I'll keep that in mind. When you've got two sides yes. that apparently want something to, to get done, right? I, I think of um, when Clay Matthews Jr. signed with the Rams, I guess that was in early 2019, right? And so I was interviewing him because I was still on their internal content team. And he said that, that when you have two sides that really do want to get something done, oftentimes that's what's going to happen. So if Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens really do want to get something done, then oftentimes that's what's going to happen. But if one side is dug in and the other side is completely dug in, then that's when it's not. 
So, I mean, we're sort of hurling toward this inevitable franchise date and whether or not they give him the exclusive or non-exclusive franchise tag, that's going to tell you something about how, I think how they see, how they can get things resolved with Lamar Jackson. Because if you go non-exclusive and then you say, all right, you can go negotiate somewhere else and see if you can get exactly what you want, then I think it kind of tells you that they don't necessarily believe that they're going to be able to get something done that exactly that is exactly what Lamar Jackson wants. And they would still have the opportunity to match that contract right, before they would agree to let him go elsewhere. So there's a lot that's going to be resolved starting uh, March 7th so that we can actually see what Lamar Jackson's future holds. And this is how I've kind of played it out in my brain over the past few weeks. Okay, you go non-exclusive if you're the Ravens. And he can talk to any other team, at least any team that currently has a first-round pick on the board for 2023. So it would leave out teams like the Dolphins and the Saints. But he could talk to these other teams. He could sign an offer sheet. And then the Ravens would have five days to decide whether to match. And if they – hey, okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Falcons. Thank you very much, whoever, for signing him to this offer sheet. We finally have this guy signed to a contract. We match it. Okay, so yeah. if they would match it in lieu of accepting two first-round picks as compensation, that leads me to the next kind of you know theory here. Why not go exclusive and, and trade him to somebody who would maybe give more than two ones? Maybe there's a better haul to be had than two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. You use the exclusive tag as the way to keep him from going out there and signing an offer sheet that you would match. Instead, you trade him for more than two ones. But here's the fundamental problem that everyone needs to keep in mind. The non-exclusive tender is $32.416 million. Exclusive is going to be forty-five. The key is year two. You get a 20% raise. So when you look at the two-year franchise tag haul under the non-exclusive, it's $71 million. When you look at the two-year haul under the exclusive tag, 45 plus 20% of 45 is 54. That's 99. That's a $28 million difference over two years, exclusive versus non-exclusive. And if you believe at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson still isn't going to agree to a contract because he's not going to come off of the five years fully guaranteed, that, that's, a, that's a huge difference. For the Ravens. And I also think this, Miles, if it's not exclusive in 32 versus exclusive in 45, there's a chance he sits out for 32. That was a question that someone asked me last week, and I first thought, nah, that's not going to happen. And I thought, you know what? Maybe he would just say, I'm not playing for 32 million. I, I deserve more than that. When the market's at 50, I'm not playing for 32. And, and when you're dealing with such an unconventional negotiation and experience, you can't rule out anything. No, you can't. I mean, imagine that, right? Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones would be paid the same, right? If we're both on the non-exclusive franchise tag, that's, that's a little weird, is it not? But, I mean, this is kind of the situation that we find ourselves in based on the way the two careers have played out and the way that the contracts have played out and everything like that. I, I think that that's just – that is an interesting proposition to have if you have both of those guys playing on the non-exclusive franchise tender. And this is something I need to take a closer look at. Why in the hell is the franchise tag only $32 million for quarterbacks? Why is that? Yeah. I mean, I know That's why. I know how the formula changed. The formula changed, I think, in 2011. 
it stopped being the five highest paid players at the position in the prior year. And it became a five-year rolling average of what percentage of the cap the five highest paid players at the position consumed. So it's tied to cap percentage. Oh, lo and behold, everybody says, oh, there'll never be cap percentage for a quarterback. Well, franchise tag is already determined by cap percentage. The problem for the players is it's too freaking low. And, (laughs) you know, the market is crossing the $50 million threshold and the franchise tag is $18 million per year behind. Are you kidding me? So that's a problem for guys like Lamar Jackson. And you have to factor that in. I mean, again... When when you're when you're playing chess with someone who plays chess the way you play chess, it's a lot easier to figure out the moves. But when you're playing chess with somebody who's never played before, but has you know making some moves and kind of have you wondering what the hell am I doing here? How how is this person playing chess and how do I react to it? That's kind of where the Ravens are with Lamar Jackson. They don't know what to anticipate. They don't know what moves he's going to make. Would he sit out the full year at $32.4 million? Miles, I can't rule that out. Right. No, no, you can't rule that out. I mean, you, you just use the chess one. I mean, it's like playing blackjack with people who don't really know how to play blackjack, and they're kind of just doing whatever. And, you know, they don't know how to split and all those different things. And you're sitting there at the table, and you're like, what are they doing? It's just it's, – it, it's unpredictable. And when you have the unpredictability factor in there, it, it just means that you don't know what's going to happen, which is the definition – of unpredictable. So now I guess I'm just saying the same thing in multiple different ways. But you know, you know, there still is a chance when you take a hit on 18, you're going to get a three. There's still there a is. chance. Yeah, there it is. It can still exactly. happen. It you can could. always improve your standing if you get that three. <laughs> so I know yeah. not. To, I know not to to hit. I know that much about blackjack. Don't hit on three and split when it's what when you get two when you get two face cards or a ten split. Right? Yeah. Is that right? There you go. Am I right? Am I ready to play some blackjack and lose some money? Because that's look, the house always wins. Go ahead and play. The question is, how long will you play before the house takes all your money, and how much money do you want to give to the house? It's inevitable. You're not going to walk away with a big bucket of chips. Every once in a while, somebody does, and that makes everybody else think that they're going to. It's not going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to take a break. When we return, will Josh Allen be good to go for the offseason program in Buffalo? Brandon Bean provided an update this week. We'll discuss it next here on PFT Live. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.